Your past are the future rewriting themselves. The bets to be, be betrayed and seek to write a signal across the age in sunder wrought by shifting verbing, winding in cells. Not me, but me, down in the land of darkness. The crudité information gull pulls down the curtain at last, revealing another, more invisible curtain. The dripping brick wall, the cubit round of the Earth Hotel. Welcome again. My name is Jackie, your panoptic and somnipresent operator and host. This program is the static discharge of a strange machine, an ongoing research exploration of an REM layer, the newest of the dream places, the hallway, the strange subliminal hallway network that we wander sometimes in sleep. I call this the Hotel Bardo, Bardo meaning realm, if you're in the Tibetan Buddhist persuasion. Maybe you've seen it too. I visited it first in 2014 on a fateful self-imposed retreat where I did a lot of meditating and a lot of vivid dreaming. I had this phenomenon corroborated by several friends who had also experienced the cramped vistas of the endless rooms and connecting walls. One particularly visionary friend told me of the terror he felt staring out a rare window into the void, the black outside that was not. He told me of guiding lost, distraught dreamers through treacherous rooms and halls, cornered by faceless and non-human entities, and losing several of them into the unknown horror of swinging doors along their path, which he had warned not to linger in front of or look into as they ran past. Ever since, this concept has swirled through my brain, through my reality, and many unexplainable coincidences have anchored it as something as an archetype in my cobbled personal ontology. I believe living in rooms, exchanging one set of life data for another, existing for time with a body in places not specific to you, renting rooms out, renting out space in the world to exist in. This place, this phenomenon, I believe is of our own making. A dream vista not of known archetypes, not of friends and family and creatures or floods or fires or forests. One of rooms with no end and no purpose. A modern horror of absence. My interest in this exploding phenomenon dovetailed with my desire to document the talent of creative people around me and present it alongside compelling experimental writing and heady multimedia work of my own. In part, as a call out into the world to see if anyone else had experienced the same things I have. In doing this, I succeeded in capturing a movement of artists in Montevallo, Alabama from 2013 to 2015, which under absolutely no authority I will call the Montevallo Spread, a wide array of punk, noise, acoustic, experimental, post-rock, jazz, and otherwise musicians who all knew each other and echoed through the three main streets of the tiny art college town and the single venue 
and the bold residences spread about which hosted shows. These folks, among whom I am proud to count myself, were tremendously productive during this period. And then, within three months of each other, bounced to the furthest corners of the United States to pursue their future creativity. I moved with many to Birmingham, just north of us, and continued my documentation under the operative dynamics and banner and mission of the Earth Hotel, endeavoring to improve my methods and reach a corroborative audience, which are similarly puzzled by our current state of affairs and looking for answers. This episode was written, save for the statement, at the beginning of May. It took me months and months in seclusion after months and months of misfortune to come to a place of feeling like I could understand and grasp what was happening. And then everything changed. The message and its dire need have changed. But this episode as it is has to come out to clear my conscience, and we will resume programming of a different and more applied nature, relevant to what's happening right now in the coming days. So with that note of the future out of the past out of the way, we return again to a variously dented peacetime, back before. We wake up back inside this place, my simulation of the unreal, a signpost momentarily suspended in time, a distress beacon from the mind of another ghost, um, guest, passing you by in the viscous day's perpetual night. Friends, this time, I believe we have good cause to believe we will remain in the thick of it. Hiding? No. Who's hiding? From what? the terrible realizations, the horror in the day of fantasy. If you are listening, ask yourself, what is that bell ringing in the distance? It's so quiet, so soft, it sounds like your thoughts. It is not, and still it rings unyielding. Ask yourself out loud, together across time in this moment, pinned by spiraling yellow thread. Who is with me? Tell them to have peace or be gone. Lock them out and bar the door. Bar them out forevermore. Nook and server window drawer. Seal them out forevermore. Lock his mind, destroy his mind. Three times three to make up nine. Change the lock and change the door. Smear them out forevermore. Curse go back, curse go back, back with double pain and lack.
Curse go back. Curse go back. Back with double fear and flack. Silver arrow through the night. Silver arrow take thy flight. Silver arrow seek and find. Cursing heart and cursing mind. Towers open fire low. Alter word lines minutes to go. Tangle cut transmissions light. Shatter iron heel with right. Voices here and voices not. Exercise the seeking rot. Forces gray and forces light. Lock the power down and right. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsors. This episode of the Earth Hotel podcast is sponsored by the Syzygy Group, making strides in diverse fields of communication and surveillance alchemy for the modern age. Syzygy Group. Lohiki Bumimen Agaparai. We implore you to join the secure mailing list by signing up for the newsletter on our partner site, TheEarthHotel.org. On this sleeping, walking tour, we reach room 774E, in this time and place featuring Brad Davis, a multi-instrumentalist and longtime Birmingham lurker and friend of the program, and for our purposes here, a wielder of synthesized sound. He makes up one half of the duo Flag Day. We're joined by our president of West Coast Internal Affairs, Joel Nelson. You've heard Brad before with Flag Day as part of Flussnoik's and in featured moments of his own. In short time, we'll hear from the mouth of Brad within demonstrations of the finger twisting of the man upon the strange machines which produce his sounds. During this time very soon, you may relapse in enjoyment, recurring your state upon the singular point, in this case called placid small thoughts, a tumultuous dart flung into the exact intersection of Brad and Joel, captured for their album, Push Down to Open. With this uncanny thanks and mediated air, be done. Thank you. 
Solid Sailor a few times around. Yeah, they've played here a good bit. I mean, they come through once or twice a year, probably. I knew them from their older records. I think most people who know me from like the sort of weird music scene in town these days probably don't even know I play drums. So Yeah, I didn't know that. What else do you do? I started playing drums, I guess, in the early 90s, but 2013 was the last like band that I played drums in. I've done a little bit of drumming like with improv, but not much. Been a lot more involved with electronics. 2013, I've been playing in this band called Wooden Wand, the main songwriter from New York. He had put out a ton of records, and he married a girl from Birmingham. And so she introduced him to all these musicians here. We started playing with him. Me and uh, a few other people, David Hickox, who's done a, a few shows like in the improv scene, Janet Simpson, she plays in Timber, played in Delicate Cutters, and uh, you know a bunch of rock bands in town. And then Jody Nelson that played in Through the Sparks and a bunch of bands in that scene. You can play with like Heath Green. And we ended up being the backing band on a few of the Wooden Wand records and did a bunch of touring. And that was a pretty satisfying experience. After we had done our the last record, we actually still have a record that we made. James ended up moving to another city. He was kind of fed up with the music and was like, I'm going to quit doing this shit, which of course he didn't. But uh, he quit for a while. So we stopped playing as a band. And after that, I just, nobody asked me to play drums. I started playing synth and null. And uh, we had another band called Droves that plays maybe a couple times a year that I'm actually the singer for. And that was just a thing that sort of fell into accidentally. And th I mean, those are the two things that I really had done pretty much for, I guess, the last five years outside of playing improv. I mean, those are the two bands that I was active in. So how did you get involved in improv? And improv in general, and then are you from here originally? Yeah, I grew up in Birmingham. There used to be a record store down by UAB in the 90s called American Beat. The guy that ran it, he was actually the second owner, but his name was Russell. And he was, I mean, he was real into punk rock. Like he had a lot of bands play there. It was actually a tiny ass little record store. And uh, he had all these pretty big bands play there. A bunch of punk bands that later went on to be somebody and like weird bands like Man is the Bastard played there and Unwound. Blonde Redhead played there. Brainiac played there. Maybe the best show I've ever seen in my life. And so at that point in time, I was just trying to find out as, about as much music as I could. And his stuff was more oriented towards punk rock, but he liked weird shit too. Like there's this band, Harry Pussy. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Harry with an two R's. No. The guitar player for that band is this guy called Bill Orcutt, who actually plays out a lot now. At this point, he's pretty well known as like an improvising guitarist. But in the 90s, they were just like this fucked up noise band like guitar and drum bass noise band they're amazing i was really into that band and russell was into them and basically no one else in town liked them so we became friends and i was in there one day he handed me this record he's like you should hear this record and it was a davy williams seven inch he's like this guy's from birmingham it's insane and uh it was like music like i'd never heard you know so that was my introduction to like improv music. And at that point, I was kind of familiar with the idea of it, but I hadn't really heard it. I'd heard free jazz, you know, but like in terms of like free improv as, you know, what we would consider free improv, I was unfamiliar. So that kind of set me on the path. But it took me years to actually even see him play live because, you know, pre-internet word didn't get out very well. And I was not plugged into the right scene, you know, I was playing in punk bands. So where was the improv scene playing at that time? I don't know. <laughs> the first uh, improv show I think I ever saw was at Bare Hands Gallery. They used to occasionally do music. A friend of mine I, that I got into Davey, he saw them before I did. He saw them at the 22nd Street Jazz Cafe back when that was a thing. And this was in like late 90s. But 
I think the first time I saw any of them was at the art gallery. I guess it's a Unitarian church that was out in Mountain Brook on Montclair Road that had the, the blue roof. They would do shows there. I saw Evan Parker play there, which was crazy. Even then, it was like I was still like on the fringes of, of knowing about the stuff. I would just occasionally, you know, find out and make it down to see the stuff. And then I started to get to know some people. But even so, I didn't, I didn't actually kind of shy around, you know, people that I respect. And I didn't actually meet Davey and LaDonna until the 2000s, I guess, the later part of that decade. But once I did, they were, you know, very inviting people. So Sure. When did you get into electronics? Did that start and interest in that and then move into free improv? Or was that something uh, you It was kind of later? concurrent. Um, as a kid, I had interest in synthesizers as much as I could get my hands on them. And then when I got out of high school, there was a place in town, like a used musical instrument store. We bought a Moog and fooled with it, you know. And I'd played piano, so I had a little bit of facility. I'm still not a great keyboard player, just good enough to get by. So in, in the later part of the 90s, I started getting more seriously into it. Started to like understand the concepts a little more. You know, I got a real job and I could buy actual gear. So <laughs> Yeah, that I'm finding that helps tremendously. Yeah, it, it's it's funny what happens when you have access to a little bit of money. Right. So th this is like a very idea heavy, like you really have to know what is happening with the sound, you know? You know I don't know that you necessarily do to start with. I found that it becomes unsatisfying quickly if until you do. But I mean, you can sit down and make a load of noise and have a good time. Certainly there's entire scenes built around that. But it gets more interesting as you learn the concepts and you start to like have, well, I won't say loftier ideas, but you know, some, something with a little more substance to it. Right. I don't mean that to disparage noise as a genre because I enjoy that stuff. Yeah. There's not like a baseline of effort that you have to put in to be approved of or whatever. Yeah. I've played with you a few times, both on our own and I don't think I've ever played with Flag Day, but I've seen you play as Flag Day with Joel. Yeah, we've only, I guess we've only played a show like that a couple of times. I didn't realize the record that just came out was the first Flag Day release. Is that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Last, uh, I mean, we'd played together a few times, uh, you know, over the course of several years. And uh, when he was coming into town last summer to kind of do his pataphysical roundup, we had made plans to record, just set up for a night and record. And that was the result of that. And so, you know, I, I feel like it wasn't necessarily fully formed conceptually, but it was close to fully formed conceptually. So just a matter of playing enough to get the facility, you know. I haven't talked to Joel really at length about that project. Can you explain what the goals are or what the conception is? Well, he was, uh, you know, interested in playing guitar, not as a traditional instrument. He was doing it you know, more in the flat on the table style, various implements. I was trying to just combine a little bit of like percussion with electronics, kind of just process sound and feedback. We just had an idea of the approach we wanted to take at the time. Yeah, we run into that a lot, right? I do talking to people that make that kind of music and I try to get an idea of like what you want people to feel. You know, there's a process that can be kind of determining, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to sit down, we're going to do it these ways this is what we're playing and what happens kind of comes out of that. And there's some of it that's intrinsic that way. What do you find yourself feeling when you listen to that kind of music, for one thing? I, mean, I don't want to say it's, it's intellectual, but I mean, I'm looking for an aesthetic experience of, of some sort, you know? I mean, I do enjoy music that has like emotional content and makes you, you know, feel a certain way, but that's not what I'm attempting to do with this. And that's when I listen to it, that's generally not what I'm seeking. Maybe we could substitute because feeling is, is like emotion. Part of the whole pop thing is directed emotion. You're going to give people right. a, an arc. So maybe instead of feeling, maybe impression or uh, 
or the aesthetic, use the word aesthetic. What kind of thing do you find coming out of this? What tone does it have? Because I've listened to it a few times, but what is the aesthetic that you look for or what is the, the stimulation that you get out of improvisational music that you enjoy? It's just sort of the discovery. I feel like that's a cliched statement because we're not treading, we're not really treading any new ground here. Other people have already been there before, but maybe I haven't been there. I'm trying to trying to get something that I didn't already have, either that or just the act of communicating with somebody. I'm not really interested in communicating with an audience, but I'm interested in communicating with the person that I'm playing with. Yeah. So this serves as a, a document of that mm -hmm. back and forth. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I think, I don't know if it's accurate, but it probably is. There's a Derek Bailey quote that's like, get an improv record, listen to it once and throw it away. It's in the air. It goes away. It's done. I don't fully prescribe to that idea, but I mean, he, he's onto something. So <laughs> Right. I'm interested in the ability to listen to this stuff multiple times and really dig into it a lot. And I might be looking for ghosts that don't exist. And maybe that's just it that, you know, most people don't set out with an emotional intent or, you know, something like that to create this stuff. So maybe I'm just trying to reconcile the why do you listen to music? question like the function of it because yeah. you know the genre thing's kind of obsolete or not very helpful so it's it's function some people listen to, to chill music when they're making dinner or whatever right some people listen to this when they're making dinner that kind of thing right i guess it's just a matter of taste and yeah i mean that. it's a matter of taste and you know there are times where i want to listen to this sort of thing there are times where i don't there are times where i don't really want to play it you know i listen to and i'm interested in a wide range of, of music so i'm not always uh trying to do this one thing over and over again but yeah i mean it serves a lot of purposes for me but i think it's interesting and i've definitely done it with other people's records trying to find a thing in there that isn't there maybe or or just trying to crack the nut you know yeah and so i certainly support people doing that with us you know i guess i gave it all away saying there's not anything to find there you know but i mean how the experience is yeah. there i mean it's it's an experience in itself and you know a lot of people would probably say this is a shitty experience and turn it off. But <laughs> Yeah, the laptop thing is, is really interesting or, or what I've heard called laptop music, which is really just improv with electronics that are even further removed from melody or sometimes even texture. I, I don't fully understand the high tones, you know, the, the really mm. piercing, some of the stuff that Joel likes, the, mm. the strictly laptop artists. Yeah. I don't know why that is... A listening experience i can see merit in it but i'm not yeah i'm not drawn to it and i'm, I'm interested in why that is well I, I also think you shouldn't feel like you should like it you sure. know um certainly probably 80 percent of my friends aren't interested in this you know that's okay i don't derive more pleasure out of feeling like people are, are digging it you know it's just a thing that is interesting to me and i feel like i kind of have to do and then when you meet people that you enjoy playing with then that sort of fulfills fulfills right. the, the thing yeah i guess that's what really breaks the mold more than anything else or breaks the model of the pop model the edifice of you like music for this reason because yeah. it's it's just it's not for an audience really uh, the audience yeah. is really secondary it i mean it just is a thing that exists and you can dip into it if you want to or you can leave it there a year after the record after playing it what are your impressions what do you think about it i think it's more interesting than i thought it was at the time which is not to say that I didn't think it had value at the time. But coming back to it, having not really thought about it for a while, I think it's interesting. I mean, I think it's the beginning of a dialogue. I don't think this is like a portrait of what we're doing. I think this is a snapshot of the beginning of a dialogue. Hmm. Do you think you accomplished anything here that surprises you now? There's always that moment for me when I'm playing with somebody 
where sound is happening and you're not sure who's doing it. Yeah. And that's a pretty satisfying moment. And there's several of those moments on this record where I'm just like, I'm really not sure. <laughs> Which is super interesting because they're different. The textures are very different. Yeah. What you can but there, there, there are places where both of us kind of cross over into each other's realm. So can you demystify this for people that would just see, I'm sitting here looking at just a mass of cables and wires and beyond how a synthesizer works. When you sit down to play this unit improv, what do you do? How do you start? Like it's, it's different than, you know, not that you're playing random notes on an instrument, but it's sure. different than starting with notes. And Yeah, well, there's a lot of options available at the beginning. You know, you've got to make a decision at a certain point with an instrument like this. I mean, some of the instruments that I have used improvising, I tend not to use this particular instrument because it's a little too open-ended. But I have used a, a version of this. The first time I ever played with Joel, I was playing Yeah. That. And actually, the patch that's up right now probably doesn't make a lot of sound because my son just likes to shove cables in every single hole. So <laughs> with this unit right here, like the sounds that are available, you've got you know standard like electronic oscillator. This is like a wavetable type oscillator where it's not analog. It's not just you know a sine wave or a square wave. You can cycle through a lot of different waveforms that are all digitally produced. And then the other sound producing unit is sort of like a granular sampler. You can put samples into it, which it then breaks into tiny little pieces. You can play with the density. You can play with the position in the sample. Just between the two of those, you've got a lot of sonic elements. And then there's also feedback that you can get through any number of methods. But those are really the only sound-producing items in there. And everything else is, is all about control and different ways to control the sound. And with something like this, I have some other instruments that I've used that are a lot more like hands-on where you're constantly moving the sound around with this it's kind of like setting up a system and just letting it run and then tweaking it a little bit to eventually morph it into something different when i played this instrument with joel the first time it was set up differently and it was a little more immediate in terms of there were a lot more sound sources and there were a little more like direct interaction you could do just a little more immediate for a live performance in its current state it's more of a uh something to sit down with for an hour and build something. A traditional synth would be like a waveform into a filter that will boost certain frequencies and cut others and an envelope into an amplifier that allows you to turn the sound on and off. And then a keyboard that allows you to choose your pitch. And you know, that the synth would be hardwired that way. That's the path. With this, you can skip any number of those paths and you can subvert them <laughs> in other ways. With a traditional synth, your only real options of control are to change your wave shape, to change your pitch, and to change like your filter setting to let more sound or less sound through. And with this, you can use different parts of it to affect, you know, changing those things you know, in real time. For people that are that might have a burgeoning interest in something like this, it looks very daunting. Uh, it looks like there's a lot that could go wrong. It's funny when I first got an interest in these. They were prohibitively expensive. Hilariously so. Sure, like eight or $9,000, yeah. $15,000 in the yeah. 80s. It was a long time before, A, I found myself financially in the position to, and B, they started to get a, a little bit more mainstream. That's a very loose interpretation. But in like the 2008 or so was when I kind of was able to delve into it. There were, you know, probably a few hundred people in the world that were interested in this sort of thing and actively doing it. Over the course of probably the last five years, it has become somewhat mainstream. You see these all the time. There are literally hundreds of companies that make these parts. When I got into it, there were four distinct formats, two of which only one company made anything for, 
and two of which one of the formats i think three people made things for and the other one like four you know <laughs> and now hundreds of small companies make these things the uh romanticism has worn off <laughs> to me it's still a pretty viable method of producing the sort of music i'm interested in i mean one advantage of all these people getting into it is they realize it's real hard and then they sell it so then you can buy used <laughs> so why i mean why this you know some people play guitar because they like i don't know why this uh i mean initially it was just curiosity i like synthesizers and these were confusing and as much as i would read about it i felt like the only way i would understand it really was to do it so eventually i was able to and then sort of addictive at that point just the ability to change things so much to take a small set of things and repatch it to do something completely different you see pictures of it and I mean, I guess I got, you know, like a Morton Subotnick record from Charlemagne or something when I was 19 or something. Early, like, experimental synth records, but, you know, late 60s. He was sort of the the first one to break through. There had been a handful of people who had put out those records before, but they are more of a... Kind of academic. Academic. And, I mean, his music was, it was also academic, but it was marketed. Yeah. None such records picked it up and they marketed it in a way that was like this shit is heavy man you know yeah and uh you know they would play it at like ends or yeah, yeah that kind of thing it's space it's the inner right, mind exactly. it's yeah. journeys his first record was called silver apples of the moon that's right which yeah. always confused me because there was a synthesizer based band in new york called silver apples at yes. the time and yeah. that was completely unrelated it was unrelated i i don't know if they stole their name from that but i mean he got the he got the, the phrase from a poem they probably got it from yeah, the same place sure as an interesting side note, the uh, singer for Silver Apples lives in Fairhope, Alabama. I heard that. I saw an interview with him about a year ago with somebody local. Strange. Yeah. Interesting. If you're, if you're hearing this, <laughs> we're going to be in touch. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I saw a picture of Silver Apples playing in, in New York in like 67 or something. Yeah. And there were thousands, you yeah. know, thousands of people. And that is some weird music. Like, yeah. I mean, it has vocals and melodies and rhythms. I mean, ties to things people would think are normal but it's quite strange you could play them as a fo as folk songs you, you could definitely play them as folk songs but they are not uh not good music to listen to on drugs either i've tried <laughs> and people are like what is this just stop this i'm scared yeah the lyrics were always like a little bit of a hurdle for me and they're a little too peace and love but uh yeah it was like i dipped my hippie brain in some molten mercury and now i've traveled to the cave of the fallen angels and <laughs> i'm dipping my hand in the golden dust like oh god maybe not too far removed from like rush lyrics in a way but yeah yeah they were it was very early prog but yeah so subotnik records i had an idea of what you could do with one of these machines incidentally there's a musician named suzanne chani in the 70s and 80s she did a lot of music for uh advertisements like coca-cola and yeah. all these different things then she did a bunch of new age records in the 80s and probably made crazy money but they're all not very interesting to me but uh in the past few years there's been a real interest in her early experimental synth music and there was a show on uh public television when i was a kid i forget what it was called it's like a kid's show about science and stuff like that and uh, they interviewed her and she was showing all these instruments and what she could do with them and when I saw that clip, I remembered seeing it as a kid and it was like, oh, this, you know, probably is one of the things that like planted a seed in my brain for sure. these sort of things. But her early music is very weird and good. And so, you know, people like her, people like Morton Subotnick, on the back of the record, there's this 
picture of this insane instrument that doesn't make sense, you know, and, and the music is very strange and doesn't make sense. And, and you're trying to figure it out. And so that was my gateway at the time. It was just trying to understand what this was. And I kept putting the Subotnik record on. I listened to one side and be like, I don't know that I want to listen to the other one right now. You know, a couple of days later, you'd put it on and listen to it again. And it just starts to like get in your head. It's just a matter of figuring it out. Yeah, I've had a number of the awkward, unmusical melodies and stuff that I play that doesn't make sense that I mix into something ends up getting stuck in my head later. And it's like, this yeah. isn't a hook. This isn't like a musical figure even really, but it's here. Or songs that if I'm doing like improv looping stuff, a lot of the vocals get really off. Yeah. And it ends up blending in this way that uh, sequences are over and over again with a big echo on it. And mm -hmm. it has all these wrong notes in it. It ends up starting to blend mm -hmm. into this thing that you can kind of you get the flavor of way before you could try to understand what but mm -hmm. what comes out makes this kind of sense that can get stuck in your head. Yeah. And I'm really interested in that potential because it's like all of the walls are coming down, the genre, the burden of you know quality of any kind. Mm -hmm. Those things are kind of melting away. And the stuff that I've seen just from this improv scene and, and my experience doing different things, it's like people don't necessarily even want right notes. But the potential for non-musical sounds to become earworms or musically relevant ideas mm -hmm. is is really interesting. And this is like a very abstract way to look at it. If you hear those pieces enough, you can really figure it out and tell what's you don't get a revelation of like oh i get it this is yeah but it, the sounds start to make it's sense like learning a language yeah yeah you can tell the raw the, the a very base crude emotion out of somebody speaking a different language yeah if you know the language you're going to hear it differently yeah and I, I mean i also don't think that you need to understand this language to enjoy it you know not on like a conceptual level yeah i mean in some ways even you kind of pull back the veil once you do it hasn't hampered my enjoyment of it to understand what makes it work. But I don't I don't think that's a prerequisite in any way. Right. I guess like getting used to the sound or getting used to what it does, you know, it's not going to give you a five to one. You know, it's just sound. It's like seeing something you've never seen before. It doesn't happen a lot. But if you do, you have to figure out. Think about it and determine what it was you actually did see. Right. And even if you don't understand it, it's like I can I can put this experience somewhere. Would you encourage everyone to listen to... If everyone could hear the Flag Day record, would you want them to? I, I don't think it's necessary for most people <laughs> to hear it, really. I feel like it's there if you're interested. There are hundreds of fantastic records that are all out there if you're interested. But I think everyone's life would be equally good if they passed it by. <laughs> I, I mean, sure. I, that, that doesn't sound like a glowing endorsement. I, I don't mean it that way, though. Uh, would you recommend it to Grandma? <laughs> grandma like this record she would hate this record she would be upset that you played it like i said i think it's the beginning of a dialogue that will continue and develop further joel's coming back in december yeah. i think something will happen we talked about a couple of things we'd like to do and, and we definitely like to record i've got some new ideas further along the same track i'm sure he does as well so what's the development like? Because you played a number of times before you recorded this. Yeah, we had played always in uh, just sort of random situations. The first time I played with him was a Flesnoix set with Jess Marie. Jess Marie and I started playing together, I guess, 10 or so years ago. And we had a group. Poeta. It was uh, me, Jess Marie, her partner at the time, and Walker, her son, who at the time I think was like 12. If anyone wasn't available, we did a lot of shows that were just me and Jess Marie, and then some with the full group. And so we played around a good bit. I had some things going on in my personal life at the time that took a lot of my free time away 
in terms of being able to just hop up and play music. And so she, at that point, started playing with other people around Montevallo. That was not the point where she had met Joel or anybody yet. She was playing with different people. And then at a certain point, she had started the Flesh Noise group. Joel was a pretty crucial member of the early version of that. And she'd invited me to play a show one night. I showed up and it was me, her, and Joel. And this was right before he moved to California. I mean, like a few months, maybe. So that was the first time I met him and we played as a trio. I thought it was pretty fantastic at the time. We definitely wanted to keep in touch afterwards. After that, we would just, you know, if he was in town, we would, you know, talk, get together. That's amazing that it was just a few months of space there that all the Flesnoik stuff started. Did y'all start Flag Day then or was it later on? No, no. The first, we actually recorded it on Flag Day, hence the name. We had made plans when he was going to be in town that that's when we would get together. That was just, you know, the day that was agreeable. And anything that we had done prior to that was sort of incidental. We had never really made strong plans that we would just end up kind of at the same place at the same time, I guess. Honestly, I don't even have very clear memories of any of those outside of the first one that we played together. Was that the first thing of its kind to that point that you'd done? Like wide open improv group? No, no, no. I'd definitely done that before. Was that different? It was definitely different. Um, he he was, uh, at the time, I mean, his playing is definitely different now than it was then, but I remember Jess Marie had started using the chalkboard at that point. I showed up with a synthesizer and he had an electric guitar. I have a strong interest in like the quieter bits and the like sort of murky spaces in the background. And a whole lot of the stuff that I've tried to do over the years lives in that area. And he was like forceful and like way out front. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like he was he was loud, you know? Yeah, it was really immediate. I was just like, all right, well, I just, you know, cranked it up and we sort of went full on and it was a lot of fun, you know, and it was like, this isn't normally what I'm interested in doing, but I I enjoyed it a lot. I guess I sort of uh, liked his fearlessness and just like, Lots of people are loud and raucous and, you know, make a racket, but but his was different, you know? Yeah, it's very focused. It, I've never had to complain, even when it's very loud. I've never felt like he was just blowing, you know. Yeah, it wasn't. You've seen that act. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> 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 yeah, he, he, the man's got panache. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was a pivotal, and we talked about that in the Flesnoix episode, and he's got an interesting mix of the, the humility that keeps such things at bay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put this out. I guess somebody will hear it. Yeah. <laughs> and then the the fearless, almost aggressive thing that doesn't come out as personality a lot, you know, it's still measured and there's craftsmanship in there. Yeah. This was before he was schooled, you know, the first time I played with him, but he, in a way he played like someone who was. And I mean, he had studied guitar at that point, schooled in like, you know, the more abstract ways, I guess. When I started college, I did music for a few years, but I realized that wasn't what I wanted my career to be at Montevallo, which in hindsight, I should have something different, (laughs) gone somewhere else. I didn't, but I didn't know at the time what I wanted, you know, but I just realized that that was not for me. So it was just like music education. Yeah. And, and I mean, the, the program there is, I remember they had a Moog synthesizer, like a modular Moog that I quickly was informed I was not going to get an audience with. Um, (laughs) and I just realized that their vibe and my vibe didn't didn't gel. I, I stuck with it for a couple of years. So have have you found the Birmingham improv community? That really interesting. I've only been involved in a few years and it was a year and a half in before I knew what I was looking at. <laughs> it's good that you that you kept coming around. Well, I didn't know like when I met Davy and LaDonna, I, I didn't know who they were. Joel had to tell me like these are really important people and I'd heard they some don't of their music. themselves in that way. Not at all. Like down to earth people. Yeah. And not to deify anybody, but it's really impressive that that such a thing came out of Alabama and that there really weren't that many people doing this at a certain point. Yeah, I mean, they really other people were doing it, but they were a long way away and they were poorly documented and I mean, they really created this in a 
Birmingham's a weird town. I mean, I've always felt that way about it. It's always been pretty good, like surprisingly good for a town as small as it is, but also pretty weird. There's a uh, a lot of strange people in this town. (laughs) Yeah, that seems a theme of there's so many gems. There's so many things that you just like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, you know, just across the board, you know, the improv scene has definitely had ebbs and flows in terms of people's involvement. There's definitely periods where I was going to these shows before I had the uh, the courage to actually suggest to someone that I might actually also play an instrument. And it it seemed like, you know, there were really like four people involved and then a, a small group of regular attendees, you know. And it's certainly a lot bigger now than it has been and uh, a lot more diverse, my tongue. But <laughs> it's a funny collection because it, it attracts liberal personalities mm-hmm. like it has to. Yeah. People that are interested in, in openness and new ideas and all that. That's a given. Not that I could tell, but I haven't talked to many people that I could peg as like conservative minded as a personality type yeah. that seem to get into this stuff. Yeah. I mean, even in like the punk scene or whatever else, yeah, I mean, there's factions of conservatives or like Christians or, you know, other religious varieties, you know, that are, that they're basing their art or music or, or identity whatever. sometimes yeah, yeah. or identity on that thing. Right. But they're also still associating with this scene that is ostensibly counter to that. But definitely in my experiences in the improv, generally music on the fringe, those people are mostly kept out. Not, not I won't say kept out, but those people mostly don't nose around in it. <laughs> right. Yeah, they're certainly not kept out, but it's, it's not of interest. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting thing that I haven't really thought about before, that there isn't like a cashable aesthetic. Yes. Yeah. There's no, I mean, you might get the skinny tie like New York yeah. Like that's the only kind of relevant, barely relevant, like pop culture image yeah. of New York experimental jazz, yeah. new jazz. There's a SpongeBob joke about freeform jazz, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Any of this stuff doesn't really have a cultural face. Yeah. Because I guess nobody in it, or as a generalization, not a lot of people in it are interested in that. Yeah. The thing that you brought up has been a theme as I ask people that do this kind of thing, these questions. It's its own thing. Yeah. I think even scenes that were that were pretty fringe a few years ago have, have been solidly co-opted you know i was planning with a friend of mine just the other day about what we were referring to as like youtube ambient which is like people with a big modular synthesizer with like a lot of cactuses sitting around yeah, and the overhead cam and yeah and it's like just this horseshit have you seen any of that stuff that impresses you uh I've, I've seen a few that i that i enjoyed there's a guy right now who who does a lot of these videos who i initially i mean i have a recording of his that i got it was a split with somebody who who I liked. And I heard his side and I was like, oh, this is pretty good. Yeah. And so I started paying attention to him. He does these videos and you know has a Patreon and all this garbage. And quality is going down. It's to the point now that he's like trying to be weird for the sake of it. It's like, I'm going to make a record with test oscillators like they did in the 50s. Which it's like, oh, I mean, that's cool. Except now, A, you just drove the price of test oscillators on eBay up like 400%. And B, you're just trying to make a shitty techno record with it, which, fuck off, don't do that. And I feel like that part of me doesn't want to take this machine out in public because I feel like anybody who shares some of my aesthetics is going to look at me and go like, where, you know, where, where are the cactuses? Well, you know. Yeah, that's the, that might be the last bastion of cultural appropriation is improv music. Yeah, I mean... It probably will happen, but... Well, I'm going to do it myself. <laughs> you're going to give it four months and you're going to see in lobby sounds, fucking hipster. Dun, 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 dun. You want to live the way you live. Nobody tells you what to do. You make your own rules. You make your own music. You know, you'll see it. Hep that. Everybody makes improv music. And then 
I can be blamed solely for ruining the last good thing on earth. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What's the strangest thing that's ever happened to you? The strangest thing that's ever happened to me? Or that you've ever seen? The most unexplainable? Everybody's got some weird story. I have a lot of weird, but they're not. Not lights in the sky or alien. No, or no, anything, none, but none like of that. Just like, personal no. odd, you know. I think I'm too much of a skeptic. I think that I I can explain it all away. Uh-huh. I definitely have an interest in that sort of thing. I'm I'm always interested in reading about somebody's like strange experience. But I where I am in my life right now, I feel like my brain is so full of just everyday shit that I have to do that I can't really ever keep all the interesting stuff in there. It all just keeps like dripping out. <laughs> There are a few interesting things that have happened to me, like in just in the past few months, that I'm like, this will make a good story one day. Can't think of anything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's fine. I appreciate you being on. What have you got coming up? I've been trying to work on my own solo stuff, which is something I've done for years just sit around and record, save it into a folder, and forget about it. And a few years ago, a friend of mine, Chris Geely, who I don't know if you know him, he's a Birmingham guy, he, he runs a label called Lathe Light plays as larks larks with two l's yeah. he's played in some other bands he had a band called accelerate i mean my first real improv shows i did had a, a group where i played drums and processed it all through to, like in real time this is like early 2000s was i guess that, was that the whole thing mm-hmm. interesting does that is there any recordings of that yeah there are a couple of recordings it was called slinger yeah he put them out on a label he used to have but yeah so he hit me up a few years ago and he's like why don't you put out a solo recording i'll i'll put one out and so I worked on some piece with that intent, not just fooling around doing it. It actually came out at this point almost two years ago through a number of uh, weird situations. We never hooked up for me to get my copies. It was basically a year after it came out when I finally got my copies of it. <laughs> and that was last November. And I had the, the intent at the time to be like, oh, yeah, hey, I've got this recording so that nobody could buy it because who cares? But I've never even gotten around to that. I gave a copy to Joel. I think he has one. My friend Andrew has one. I think those are the only two people in the world that have a copy. Well, just you wait. <laughs> now that the world knows. It did get a good review in the one place it got reviewed. So. He's a Dutch musician named Franz Duvard. I don't know how you... Uh, and he's not particularly well-known, but he's well-known in a certain niche. You know, I was quite familiar with his stuff before this. He has like an online magazine of sorts that reviews... I'll send it to you. I can't think of the name of his little online magazine offhand, but... Well, we will be doing a musical retrospective surrounding this... We can do a, a not in memoriam retrospective, a, car- <laughs> a career so far, not a career in review. I mean, I don't really have releases of improv stuff that I've done outside of the flag day. I have a lot of recordings. My friend Andrew Dewar, the sax player. He plays soprano, yeah? Yeah. And he also does electronics. We're into the same bullshit. We've got a lot of recordings of us playing together. We've done a few shows. We did a show at the Hoover Library last year where we played live electronics and quadraphonics. We've done some interesting stuff. Some of it's been all electronic. Some of it's been sax and electronic. We've done a couple of things where I've processed him live. has been interesting. It's been a lot of fun. We have very similar interest in aesthetics. We, we play whenever we can, which is not often. Very busy schedule, and we get together when we can. <laughs> yeah. You know, though I'm sure tons of people have recordings from I went to the show, I took some video, or even before the phone thing, I got this recording of these shows. Yeah. I'm just wondering the potential of that, not as a record label type activity, just more of a, almost like a map, you know, like here's the places that used to be in Birmingham. Anybody that has anything from this spot, send it. It's like you can, almost like a time capsule thing. 
If I was a good documentarian, I, I've carried recorders to tons of shows and recorded them, and I'm really bad at notating any of that. Sure. So I just have a bunch of files with names that are a string of numbers, and occasionally I can figure out what they were. I actually found a recording when I was sorting through something a few weeks ago. It may have been one of the last times that Davey, probably the last show that Davey played, and I recorded it, and it was mostly a terrible. Andrew Davey and LaDonna did a trio. I played a duo with Davey. Davey played ensemble, and he was playing pretty good that night. I mean, a, a lot of his later performances, he wasn't, you know, at the top of his game. He was good that night. And uh, I found a ran across the recording of it. And uh, I've got a few others. Uh, did you know that Joel recorded with him, too? Yeah. I don't I don't know what, what will come of that. And I, I'm hesitant to put anything with him on it out. More things to come. Are there any big ideas or crazy things you just want to add on the end? If you had the microphone to the world? No, I don't really have a lot to say. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, I, you know, I'm going to keep doing the crap that I'm doing, and I'm going to keep putting it out in front of six people that have a vague interest in it. It's eight now. Okay, eight people that have a vague interest in it. Thanks, you two. And <laughs> no, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm glad to sit down and talk to you. It's been fun. Keep me updated on the stuff. We'll play a lot of things. I never know the order until I sit down to do it. But yeah. next up, you're going to hear.
Coming up next, we've got what has to be the 250th version of the Earth Hotel Sonata. That might just be what I do forever, is make Earth Hotel Sonatas. But for all intents and purposes, show's done. You can stay and listen to my voice, or go on to whatever you're going to do next. Thanks for Brad for being on the show. Thanks for all of you being here and being where you were before. What comes next is going to be a little different. Things were a little different than I might be a little different. So here we go. We're two months, give or take, into the broad game. The iron heel descends further upon us under our frightful glance all the time. It took two months of isolation to keep me still long enough to get back here. I believe the last you heard of me was last August. Much has happened in the little wriggling. It's an exciting tale of nervous exhaustion, idiot fire, model home moroseness, nomadic skirmishes, and the endless tunnels of words made from my mouth into the void, spoken to unknown ones from the heads of the long and recently dead. That story I'll spare you. Those intervening months, all of it, can go by the wayside, for it is done. But the reason I tell you all of this is so. It was not only for circumstance that I was away. At any point, I could have hopped on a phone recorder with somebody and have a chat, play their music on it, got an episode, sure. Maybe if things had kept going and consistent from three years ago when I again put my shoulder to the wheel, I might be in a very different place than the one I've recently made my home. Maybe the office hadn't caught fire and moved us out from a place of tentative unease back in January. Maybe the comfort that could have been had there would have enclosed me through the end of the year as I became embroiled in malfunctioning money gigs. In conjunction with bizarre circumstance, the angry turning of some cosmic worm has made it all solid again. A solid thing that, like a nail into concrete, I was put through by force. This time, long, obvious, spent, was ordained by the subconscious, wringing me out and back into line to perform my duties. That's how the story goes with my headlong stumbles into passion and my reticence to surrender to anything, a flaw the fatality of which chills me to think about. This incompleteness begged long hours of wandering through concepts terrifying to me, walking into the brutal wind of self-recognition that carves out valleys before they can be made fertile. Discovering these unforgiving schema cast out effects throughout the horde of not-yet-dead things waiting to be born. The creative promises I made to that wrathful wind that whipped me how many times I came close, in despair, to forsaking my dearest masters. I could return to work only when brought back into self-obedience enough to be ordained by the subconscious, granting mortifying fruits, waiting there to be harshly learned and integrated into my mission, waiting for another gleeful transmission. For months, we moved the desk from place to transient place, always living with piles and half-packed wheat of our home. Half of that home was coated in the thick plastic dust of the pressing fire, which touched the surface of all things. We moved so often and lived on so little of that domestic wheat that the walls became transparent, I mean less than corporeal. They indeed shifted underneath us, unable to become ours, beyond our touch and reflection. Some were literally scrubbed down around us by our patron prepared to move out of the house forever, leaving no trace of any of us behind. For a time, we lived 
within the Earth Hotel, closely alongside friends and others, but never touching and rarely interweaving. When we reached this new space, it became home through complex modification, not by our hands, but by our projections and associations, the thoughts and impulses that preceded any physical change. In this way, which you go along as well, we all know how to navigate in some way through this thousand-year-old structure of the mind, the hallways and non-Euclidean high-rises of the subconscious. Strange dreams lately, in isolation. We stay connected, all the same. That is all to say now. I welcome you back. I welcome myself back, for I have permission to return. Now it is time to shake off the rest of the fetters and tour the place together again. Much has changed since we last passed each other in the other corridors, waving hello as we entered new doors. For all of this, I wish to give you my lucubratory thanks as we leave the sector together for another. In reviewing my days away, I spent some time listening to previous shows from the beginning in 2015. If you've been here since the beginning, I beg your favor in maintaining through my numerous errors and self-contrived musings. I found that often I had much to say, but a hindered capacity to express myself. When I started the program, I saw it as an exploratory channel, less as an outlet for, say, the nourishing entertainment for people to hear as I want it to be now. At its best, it was a document of the talent around me. At its worst, it was a poorly conceived journal. I held the erroneous assumption that all of it as it was, hearing the real room as it happened, even if I was hopelessly deprecating and poorly improvising, was real. It was a value unto itself that way. Maybe it was. People seemed to get a lot out of it as it happened, and I have a frightened, timid love about that. People connecting and paying genuine attention to something that now seems half-cocked and nearly useless. But after doing various programs and largely learning by less than compassionate reflection and experience. I found much of that floundering distasteful, something bordering on a waste of time for people trying to tune in. Refinement is part of the process, and the best thing that I can offer to that process is myself, that surrendering to which I referred earlier. Giving you a good show with deliberate consideration and attention to quality has always been my goal, though those markers have flown all over the field in my attempt to find myself. All this talk of the subconscious and missions and such is just to say that I had much to learn, still do, and I owe you extensive gratitude for not abandoning or forsaking me for my myriad shortcomings. I had to be ready to really work, to really sacrifice, and not belabor the point. Instead of making promises to you in order to keep them, I'll simply walk you through the surveyed territory and put more than I imagine I have in me out to you as a tether. We both could use one right about now. Together, we'll find new passages, and maybe more. Find company to hold us closely, joyfully, in the darkness. This has been The Earth Hotel. Jackies of the past, take us away.